Welcome to Wow, This Room is Loud. I am your host, Haley Gorlick, and today I am finally posting part two of my conversation with just the awesome and incredible Ella Craft. If you are new, please go back, listen to part one. It's a pretty good conversation. If you are rejoining me, thank you so much for coming back. As a quick recap, because I know it took me like 13,000 years to post this part of the episode. Um, Ella and I left off discussing social media and some of its impacts. Now, it's time for the trigger warning. There is discussion of pregnancy and infant loss, specifically the fear of it occurring, as well as we do touch on some violent acts, such as school shootings. However, these are not the main topics in any way, shape, or form. They're merely there to articulate points in the conversation or to add to a story. Now, with that, please relax or exercise or do whatever you do when you are listening to a podcast and enjoy part two of my wonderful conversation with the effervescent, vivacious, fantabulous Ella Craft. Yeah, and I mean, like, I feel awful for kids today, like... I feel like a lot of our adolescence is already, like, smattered all over things like Facebook and MySpace and Mm -hmm. Tumblr, and these kids that are growing up, that are the generation directly below us, or I guess two steps below us, not the Gen Zers, but their younger Mm -hmm. counterparts, like, they're growing up with everything about them on the internet for the most part and I mean there are some parents that are very against posting anything um we try and be very mindful about what we post of our son because Mm -hmm. there is an autonomy component that's really important to both of us and him understanding that this is his life this is his image you know we he he has made a tiktok appearance or seven um just because he's cute and I yeah, like, I like to put him out there, but at the same time, there's this like, ah. Uh, but he, if if something like if something were to blow up, I wouldn't want it to be on his back because mm-hmm. that's not fair to him. He didn't agree to going viral. I just yeah. wanted to share this cute moment of him. Mm-hmm. And it's... sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no, I was just gonna say like, and then you have these like family vloggers where their whole income is basically their kids doing silly kid things. Mm-hmm. And then their kids' tantrums are on the internet for everybody to see. They're... Yes, that's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. Because <laughs> it also comes into this uh, almost a disability rights kind of thing and the privacy issue, especially when you have kids who are autistic or do have special needs or they are disabled. Like when you post or when somebody posts a video of their child having a meltdown, their autistic child having a meltdown, that is for the whole world to see. And for me, Whenever I have meltdowns, I try not to do them in public because I feel so embarrassed and it's almost shameful because I can't control what I'm doing. I can't control how I'm expressing my emotions. I can't control my anger. I can't control that I'm crying or not. I can't control that I'm hyperventilating. I can't control that I like I might lash out physically because I'm so overwhelmed, so upset that I don't know what to do. So I try to keep those private because of all the shame and the embarrassment and mm-hmm. just people like maybe seeing that and being like oh that's a very in you know inappropriately behaved child that's unacceptable yeah that kind of thing and like that's such a private thing and for your parent or for somebody else to film that and post that online like that just it makes me very mad first of all it makes me very mad because that is a huge invasion of privacy and it also makes me very sad because then this kid this poor innocent child who's just doing their best and is just struggling to cope with all of these different stimulations that are happening, or they're struggling to cope with the emotions that they're feeling in that moment, is broadcasted for the whole world to see without their permission. Like, that just, and that's going to follow this kid around. Everyone's going to be like, oh, well, the kid who had this meltdown in this very, like, public space, and I've seen your meltdowns. I've seen your one of your most private moments. It's like filming somebody when they're going to the bathroom or when they're, like, getting dressed. It's just, Mm. that's your private time and your private, like, expressions. Like, why would you? It just makes me so upset that people do that. Mm -hmm. So, um, are you familiar with the YouTuber, like, Micah Stafford? I can't think of how to say her last name. 
possibly if I knew more about it. Because there's a couple yeah. of YouTubers that I vaguely know of, but mm-hmm. I've only known who they are because of the headlines that they've created lately. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. So, like, I'm addicted to, like, the drama channels right now. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically Smoky Glow. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but, no, so there's been this situation with a family vlogger where she and her husband, they already had, like, I think three kids then they chose to adopt a little boy from China. Yes. Okay. I do know yeah. who this is. Yeah. And, you know, listening, and I've never watched any of her videos. I probably never will because I don't really want to support this person. Mm-hmm. Um, but in listening to the drama channels kind of talk about what's going on and they're like, yeah, she would just film her child having meltdowns and be like, look how hard this is for me. And it's oh. like, it's like, that's not about you. Your child needs you to be a parent right now and come over there and comfort them in whatever way is going to make them feel most comfortable. And you're so incredibly fucking with this small little child's ability to form secure bonds and attachments with the way you're treating him and in treating him differently from your other children. Yes, that is one of another really big thing that I am a very strong advocate for is self-advocacy. Yes, there we go. Um, especially within disabled and autistic people. I know when you're younger, when you're a child, it's harder, but all these like mommy autism groups or whatever that are on social media these days, they're like, oh, I'm such a strong warrior because I have to put up with my autistic son and all these different things. And I'm like, well, how do you think your son feels that he can't relate to you, that you don't understand him and that you're portraying him to be the villain in this story where you're the hero like that's awful (laughs) and that's why um autism autism speaks is not a good group because they're very warrior parent centric and they don't have any like adult autistic voices leading the conversation within that group and that's why a lot of autistic people are very much for other advocates oh my god, I can't say this word, other groups <laughs> for autistic people. Um, and, you know, it's very autistic people leading the conversation, not their caretakers or their parents. Because mm-hmm. while, yes, you do have to deal with it, you're also not the person who's living with it mm-hmm. and living that reality. Like, for, you know, some, you know, for an autistic mom or a, a mother whose child is autistic, I should say, um, Maybe you don't have a problem with, you know, the clothes that you wear, but for your child, it feels like it's the worst thing ever. And that's why they don't want to wear clothes because it's just an awful feeling on their skin. And that's why they're like refusing to get dressed. And you're like, I have to put up with this insolence and this tantrum throwing every day. But it's just like, no, your kid doesn't want to wear the clothes because they're not comfortable. It's such an awful sensation on their skin that's why but they don't you know to my knowledge they don't bother to find that out or because they're like well my kid doesn't communicate with me they're nonverbal. well they can communicate with you in other ways you just don't look for it mm-hmm. and you're just not looking for it because you're like oh he's nonverbal. therefore he doesn't communicate at all and that's just not true yeah you can have you know if they're older and they're able written communication text communication or even just simply pointing at something and saying like this is what I want not this and like refusing to like touch it when you bring it closer to them like that's communication right there it doesn't have to be verbal to be communication to be a valid form of communication so it's very frustrating when I see all these parents of autistic children that are like ah we're so brave Mm -hmm. for putting up with this and it's like then what does that make me (laughs) Well, and it just, it dehumanizes and takes compassion away from, from the entire conversation. While yes, like I can, as a parent, like I can understand needing that little bit of ego boost, especially if you just had a really hard day. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're very fortunate to where our son is a relatively easy baby. Like he's just, he's just chill. And I was not a very calm baby. So I thought for sure, like, karma was going to come back around. But, like, as a parent, I can understand needing to sometimes, like, hear that messaging or see that messaging and be like, yes, I am strong. I can do this. 
But it would it should never be framed as I have to be this way because of my child. It's just mm-hmm. I am this way, and sometimes my circumstances call on it more. But I don't have any resentment towards my child in it because that's when I hear that like warrior parenting. That's almost what I hear is like you're resentful of the fact that your child has X, Y, or Z and it's created, I don't want to say strife, but it's just created a different experience within your home that's not maybe what you dreamed having children would be. Mm-hmm. And there, it's okay to grieve for that loss. Um, there's a woman who, she does this really cool analogy about like how when you have a child with a disability or a um, cognitive or otherwise... How it's like you get on a plane and you think you're going to Italy, but you end up in Holland. And you struggle for a long time because you're like, no, I wanted to go to Italy. Why am I not in Italy? But you can't get out of Holland. But eventually you learn to work with and cope with, you know, your situation and circumstances. And then you start to see the beauty in Holland. And you can respect and appreciate Italy but hopefully you would come to a point where you wouldn't trade your Holland experience for anything. Yeah. And I think that's just, I don't know, to me, like it's being an autistic person and living my life as being autistic and having ADHD and having other disabilities. It's just, it's not the way that I thought my life would go. And you know, the same thing, I mourn for that because I would love to, be able to do all of these things that I thought that I would be doing with my life like I didn't think that I would be here as I am now 23 years old and just struggling to get out of bed most of my days just because like I am dealing with so much pain or like going to the grocery store I come home and I'm like I need a nap I'm exhausted to the point where I just can't function and can't do anything else I never thought that I would have to put up with that so to like have to come to terms with that reality is very hard and I definitely agree with these and I can sympathize with these parents like I didn't think this is what my parenting life would be like I get it I didn't think my life living it would be this way either but at some point you have to kind of you know see the positives and uh, I really don't like this most of the time seeing the silver lining and all this and Mm -hmm. it just it's very I don't like it but you know, at some point, this is your life that you are living. You don't get another one. You can't just spontaneously be like, ah, this is going to be different today because I'm just going to ignore the fact that I have this disability and do something that I physically can't do. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not how that works. You have to learn to live with it and accept it. And you can't fight it all the time. I can't yeah. fight the fact that I have a disability. I can't fight the fact that my body just does not do these things mm-hmm. that I used to possibly be able to do that I can't do anymore. So you just, you have to learn to live with it and appreciate it. Because while I might be bedridden a lot of the time, or I just, I can't do much outside of my house, I can also do really great other things. I can appreciate, you know, art a lot more because I get the time to do it because I can't go out and do these things physically. But I get to see a lot more movies, which is nice. I get to listen to a lot more music. I get to spend a lot of time with my cats. I get to sew a lot more things. And I get to just kind of appreciate everything sitting still mm-hmm. and being in the present and not just constantly moving all the time. Um, so you just you have to see the positive side of things when you're in that situation. And though it might not be ideal and might not be the thing that you always dreamed of, mm-hmm. it's your life. You can't just like throw in the towel and be like, ah, oh, whatever, I'm grumpy all the time because I hate everything mm-hmm. that's just not a good way to live in my opinion Yeah, I I want to be happy and I want to do things that make me happy so I have to find a good compromise mm-hmm. while I would love to constantly be doing things all the time and like go out with my friends and like have a good time and party and all this stuff because I'm young and that's what I want to do I can't do that all the time I might be able to do it once a week once every two weeks once a month even and then I just find other things that make me happy instead. Mm-hmm. Like sewing. Sewing has been a huge thing that just makes me happy because I don't have to do a lot of like hard physical labor for it. 
that's not always true. Some things take a lot more out of you than others, but simple hand sewing. I love hand sewing. It's one of my favorite things. That's why I got into doing embroidery. So doing embroidery for me, that made me so happy. And I was like, I should do more of this. So I did. And it made me very happy. So it kind of replaced my drive to want to go out to, you know, and do things. But I stay home and I create instead. And that's what makes me happy now. And that's what I can do. Mm-hmm. So I'm not fighting it. Yeah. I'm going with it. Yeah, which um, like over the course of the last year, I had a really bad year last year. Um, I had two fairly public panic attacks close together right before I found out I was pregnant and um oh no stupid ADHD where was I going with that thought um oh yeah but um I found it um but that whole year it just ended up being a lesson in surrendering and patience and finding the gratitude in the hard situations So I had a really hard first trimester. I was sick all the time. I'm really glad I was basically unemployed for the first 10 weeks of my pregnancy because I just, I didn't, I didn't have the energy. I couldn't give any energy to anyone. It, it caused some serious friction in my marriage because I would be home all day and nothing would get done. And my husband would come home and he'd be like, what, what did you do? Did you just sit on the couch all day? And I'd be like, well, I did a load of dishes because that's all I could give. Yeah. But it ended up being one of the best things for our marriage because it redistributed the chores and who was responsible for what. And it really has balanced the responsibilities, which has been great. But for that first couple months, like, we never yell at each other. And we were getting into yelling fights because we were both just so frustrated and exhausted. And we were coming to grips with the fact that we were going to be parents way sooner than we wanted to be. And all of the things and so I think finding that happiness or that gratitude in those difficult moments is what then is kind of like the lifeline or the rope to help pull yourself out of out of it like there were so many mornings when I would be running to the bathroom and I would just be like I hate this I hate this I hate this but it means I'm still pregnant and I was very scared of miscarrying all the way probably until I hit the 20 week mark and that's when I have like officially felt like I could breathe and relax. And then I was afraid of having a stillbirth. And so it wasn't until he was physically here. And I'm sorry, trigger warning. There will be definitely a trigger warning at the top of this podcast. <laughs> um, but and once he was finally here and I could see him and put my hand on his chest and make sure he was breathing. Like that's when I finally felt like I could relax in the sense of like this, this child is fine. He's here. It was really difficult getting him here and there was a lot of practiced breathing and I'm not a patient person so pregnancy was a challenge because I just I wanted it to be 40 weeks I wanted him to be here I wanted all of the things to be going correctly and it was just finally getting to that point where you know I just gave in and let the universe do what the universe was going to do and everything's been fine fortunately thank you universe yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's to me, I use a lot of metaphors and things so I can like physically quantify it in my brain. Otherwise, they're they're just abstract thoughts and they mean nothing to me Mm -hmm. because I'm not very good with like measurements and things like that mentally. I have to like see something. So being able to like physically see something in order to make that connection is really important to me. So, you know, that's kind of like, you know, the age old trying to put a square peg into a round hole it's not going to work you're just going to force it it's not, you're not going to have a good time mm-hmm. so you need to go find that square hole that's going to work with your square peg that you were given like you trying to live this idyllic life that you've always dreamed about that you you know have all these pinterest boards for and things like that and you see in the movies and the magazines and you know all, on everyone's social media you know and you weren't given that square Mm -hmm. or you weren't given that circle peg you were given a square one so you have to make it work and find that square hole so use what you're given and try to make the best of it and you know maybe you'll come across a triangle hole and that square peg still isn't going to work so then you move on and try other things and it's just what I've come to realize through all of these things that I deal with and you know, me being a lesbian, me being non-binary and autistic and disabled and all of these different intersections of my identity, 
it's been a lot of trial and error trying to figure things out and that's okay and I have had to come to terms with that being okay because I'm a very I'm very impatient um I like instant gratification I struggle when I have to like continually work at something that's why I was never good at like trying to perfect a skill because I just am so impatient and I just want it now and if I don't have it now it's just bad I'm not gonna be a good and I'm not gonna be a happy person if I don't get it right then and there which is what I struggled with a lot as a kid because I just didn't understand why things couldn't just happen instantaneously so that's been the hardest part is just the trial and error and trying new things and you know, trying a new approach and working with different equipment and working with different things. And well, maybe this will work. And it's like, ah, oh, close. We have to repeat it again and with a different variable and see if that'll work instead. And just managing all these different things in my life has been exhausting, very exhausting, but it's been really nice because I can like physically chart my journey, I guess. And it's, very cool because then you can say well that didn't work for me but it might work for somebody else so when people come to me for advice which is far often than they should Mm -hmm. but when they do I can say well I tried that and maybe it will work for you but it didn't work for me but you know have at it here's my here's my advice here's my story maybe that will help you which is why I document everything so publicly so that maybe People will learn something and you know I have a I have a blog elsewhere that I will keep private because it's uh, a little inappropriate I'm a start I'm a sex worker as well mm-hmm. <laughs> I post things online so I just I'm very also very open on that platform about my disability and about working with what I've got and being very open when I have bad days and I'm open on you know Facebook and mm-hmm. my other social media places and I'm open with other people too mm-hmm. Um, about having bad days because I have a lot of bad days and people might be like, you complain too much. And I'm like, well, this is the truth. (laughs) This is what it's like. It's not all sunshine and rainbows as much as I want it to be. It's not all the happy things that I like preach about and I want actively for my life. I have a lot of days or a lot of weeks that are just bad. Mm -hmm. And it sucks, but that's just what I have to deal with. So if I document that and say, I had a really good day yesterday, but for the next five days, I'm going to suffer. And that's all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that helps somebody else who's in a similar situation or is not in a similar situation. And they can kind of say, oh, okay, I understand and I see now because mental health and disability, they're so stigmatized in society. Like yes. everyone is like, they paint disability as this like very negative life ending thing. And it's, it's not. Mm-hmm. You just, you learn to live with it. I recently started watching this YouTuber. Her name is Jessica Kelgren Fozard. She's amazing. I love her a lot. Um, and she is deaf, blind in one eye. She also has um, a couple of other um, physical disabilities as well. She's paralyzed both of her arms for a year. And she has a very immersive YouTube channel where she's very open about her disability and how it's not a negative thing and how it's just part of her life and it's not this like huge tragedy and she's not a warrior and her wife isn't an angel for marrying her like she's just a disabled person mm-hmm. and that's just that's just her life do, so it's refreshing to see that <laughs> do you think that you know with like because we grew up hearing these harrowing stories of like Helen Keller or for whatever reason, she's the only one I can think of probably because I got, I went through like a hyper focus phase when I was like nine on trying to learn ASL and just like the deaf community really fascinated me. And so I tried to educate myself on that, but I was nine and also dyslexic. And so like, (laughs) it just, my, my hyper focus phases are very weird. Um, yeah, that's very true for everybody who has those. Yeah. I I relate. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we hear these stories of, like, this person had everything stacked against them, but look at this full and wonderful life they were able to lead. Like, 
do you think that that is almost playing into like a toxic positivity culture? Yes, because it says the way people frame people with disabilities saying, look at this person, they can overcome anything if they try hard enough. Mm -hmm. And for some people with certain disabilities, that's not true. A person who is physically paralyzed um, from the waist down, no matter how hard they try, they may never be able to walk. And so for some people, they see that as kind of a letdown because they're like, well, then you're just not trying hard enough. And it's like, no, they may try very hard and they just may never get there. And that's okay. And so abled people have this, you know, idea that if you work hard enough at anything, you can do anything you set your mind to. And that's just in the disabled community. That's just not true. But that's also okay. You don't have to push yourself in order to do things that able people will like, like recognize and celebrate. You don't have to do that to yourself. You can take all the time that you need and may, you know, never even try to attempt it because you know, you're not, it's just your body won't do it. And it's going to cause you a lot of pain to try. That's okay. You don't have to push for these goals that able people set for you. Mm-hmm. Like Your life is enough as is. And if you want to try to improve that for yourself, that's one thing. And I definitely like would advocate for that because that's what I've been doing. I've been working on myself in ways that I can, that work with what I have. And I'm not trying to, at least not now, I used to, but at least now I'm not trying to push myself beyond my limits just for the sake and comfort of able people. That's just not fun. It's Mm-mm. awful. You, you know, try to do all these things and, you know, being autistic, you try to mask your symptoms and you try to look normal and behave and be normal. But that is exhausting. It is so tiring to try to keep my tics down and to try to socialize normally and to, like, maintain eye contact with people. And people don't really see that as being exhausting. But when you do it all day, every day for, you know, however long you are doing a thing like when you're at work you're at work five days a week eight hours a day and to do that day in and day out it takes so much out of you and you come home and you're just dead like I would get off of work so I used to work in a restaurant and I used to have to be like customer service like oh yes how can I help you oh you're gonna yell at me okay I'll just take that with a smile and not get upset and not freak out about it it's fine um and I was coming home just utterly exhausted to the point where I couldn't do anything else I literally would lay in my bed and fall asleep in my uniform because I was so out of it so tired and I just thought that it was just I don't know hard I was just a hard worker but that's just that's that's not it it's just because I was masking and trying to appear normal and trying to be okay with all these different sensory things happening all at once so for able people to say well you can do anything you set your mind to it's kind of like a spit in the face because it's like no I can't actually Mm -hmm. like I can't I'm not comfortable pushing myself that hard to make you comfortable I'm not pushing myself to make eye contact with you because it makes you feel comfortable Mm -hmm. that's not comfortable for me like I don't want to have to like make myself uncomfortable or tired or overstimulated just to make you comfortable like I have compromised long enough and it's taken Mm -hmm. so much out of me I I'm setting those boundaries Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it good for you that's really hard to do and like you know I'm one of those people where if there's anything shiny or sparkly like my eyes immediately go to it and I used to work for this woman who just like had beautiful jewelry and was always had something dazzly on her and she would be talking to me and like if I'm really listening to somebody and trying to really understand what they're saying, I'm either watching their lips or I'm looking away because I'll mm-hmm. get too distracted. And yep. she would constantly be like, what are, what are you looking at? What, what do you see? And I'm just like, your, your earring is distracting me or your necklace is distracting me. And I'm trying really hard to focus on what you're saying. And you know, you feel kind of like a creep and kind of bad because yeah. you're not you're not intentionally trying to like encroach on this person or make them feel uncomfortable. It's just mm-hmm. you're doing your best to um you're doing your best to stay engaged in what's happening. Yeah. And that's the problem I think with like the education system is it frowns upon 
kids who fidget or kids mm-hmm. who need to stim. Um, I was one of those kids. I was fidgeting a lot and I would play with things at my desk all the time, would constantly be doing something with my hands. And it's, it got better when I was in high school because I was allowed to bring my computer and like do stuff on my computer while I was in class because I was still paying attention, but also like doing things to help me pay attention. And so when I got to college, it was revolutionary because my professors, most of them, did not care. I could like knit if I wanted to in the middle of class and I could like focus so much better on the lecture or I would focus on making really good notes and that helped me pay attention to what my professor was saying. Or I could just sit there not take any notes and just like fidget with my pen and I would just absorb everything. But if I wasn't doing that, if I didn't have the ability to do that, it would just right over my head. It would just be gone. So I just think that as a society, especially for abled and holistic people, they just need to let us do the things that will help us because it's not that we're not paying attention. Mm -hmm. It's just that we're channeling all of this energy and an attentiveness somewhere else that we can pay attention and Mm -hmm. that we can be productive later on. So it's definitely something that I've gotten better at over Mm -hmm. time because, you know, I've also been able to understand why I'm doing this. And so then I've been able to just kind of do it more often. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, especially a lot of autistic people experience the phenomenon of feeling more autistic once they get their diagnosis or once they like confirm that they're autistic um just because we're like oh yeah that makes sense and it's not something to be guilty about or shame feel shameful about like I can do these things and it's it's a it's a normal thing like I can stim with my hands and I can hand flap because I need to do that but I know why I'm doing it. So it's not something that I feel embarrassed about because it's actually a normal thing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people experience that phenomenon and I have too. Definitely. Like I definitely feel more autistic now because I've accepted these things about myself and I just kind of let it happen. Mm-hmm. And so trying to like control it and spending so much energy on this specific thing that I'm trying to control and, you know, focusing that energy elsewhere, which is much more appreciated by everyone else around me because then I'm, you know, not worried about sitting perfectly still and making perfect eye contact all the time, which then will lead to problems down the road because I spent so much energy on that. I don't have energy to do what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. I can do the things I need to do. And then, you know, at work, I can do this project wholeheartedly with all of my energy and focus because I was able to like pay attention earlier. Mm -hmm. So it's just working with what you have and kind of ignoring society's expectations of you and just kind of doing what you need to do for Mm -hmm. yourself. And that's, it's hard to do, but once you get there, once you have that ability, it's amazing. Yeah. And I think that there's just such this cognitive dissonance within our culture because we're like very individualistic, but also like you have to be available at all times for everyone else. And what I'm thinking is really cool about, you know, the millennial generation, the Gen Zers, um, is we're all more like, fuck that. I want to be a good person. And in order for me to be a good person, I have to take care of myself. And once I can take care of myself, then I can take care of you. It's the whole oxygen mask thing on the airplanes where it's like, you know, you put your oxygen mask on first, then you reach over and help your partner or the person next to you. And yeah, so, I definitely agree. Yes. And then we get this bad rap of being like selfish and self-centered and victims and poor you and da da da. da. It's like no, we're just a lot more in tune with what our needs are, largely because we've been told we're gonna die from the time we're, you know, however old you were when the towers fell. I feel like is when everything was just sort of shattered, irrevocably. Um. You know, I've got some memories of pre-9-11 America, but most of my memories are post-9-11 and post-Columbine America growing up in these schools where it's all all doom, all gloom, all the time. And so I think our mortality was checked at such a young age that we're all just like, well, I feel like shit. And I know I'm only going to be here for an insignificant amount of time compared to how long this earth and life as we know it has been around. So 
I'm going to do whatever I can to not feel like shit and then maybe help somebody else once I get my stuff figured out. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I've come to liken it as, like, you can't pour from an empty glass. You need yes. to let it refill. So, like, I, you know, I mentioned previously I was working multiple jobs and, like, doing all this stuff and constantly saying yes to all these projects because I wanted to be a part of everything and I didn't want to feel left out and I didn't want people to think less of me and I didn't want people to be disappointed in me. So I, like, pushed myself so, so, so much all the time to where, like, I would pass out in my bed at night and I'd sleep for like 12 hours, no problem. I was just exhausted and I'd be so tired that I wouldn't be able to keep up with like my house chores. So my room became a mess. The kitchen became a mess. My life was a mess just at home. And so I couldn't escape from all of these like stressors and you just, you have to learn to say no. And that is the hardest thing to say, especially as someone who is as much of a people pleaser as I am like I overcompensate and I a lot of autistic people and a lot of people with ADHD do that too because we don't want to be thought of as less because of what we experience so we overcompensate and work so much harder to appease everybody and Mm -hmm. that is so draining (laughs) and so my new year's resolution for this year was to say no more that's a because great New Year's resolution. It. Yeah. It, I thought so, too. I was really excited about it. And then when everything happened and everything shut down, I didn't even need an excuse. <laughs> I could just say, nope, sorry, can't do that. So I've been able to say no a lot more. And I've had this time now to reflect and do all these things that I have been needing to do and do all these things that make me happy. And so it's so nice. Um, to have that mm-hmm. and to get away from this because I think that there's also this like the aesthetic of being depressed and being upset and sad and yeah. angry all the time it's I think too popularized mm-hmm. um, like everything is doom and gloom and you know the aesthetic and the you know the wanting to be depressed and mm-hmm. the wanting to like have this disorder that makes you quirky or different because everyone thinks that you know, being depressed and having anxiety and having panic attacks and having ADHD and all this makes you fun and quirky when it does not. No. I think that's also largely due to the way media portrays people with mental illness mm-hmm. and disabilities. They think it's a fun quirk, but then they get to experience the, like, really, like, not-so-fun parts of it. And mm-hmm. then they're like, oh, this sucks. Why isn't it like this movie where she's just fun and bubbly and then, like, sometimes, like, hyperventilates? Like that's that's not how that works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this whole aesthetic of being mentally ill and mm-hmm. like depressed and being cynical, I think, is part of the reason why that there's such this emphasis on why things are so doom and gloom because we're fed all of this information constantly about all these bad things happening, and it's just it's our normal, mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be. Like I had to work really hard when I first started therapy to get myself away from that and to, di- and to distance myself from that aesthetic because it's not healthy and self-deprecation also kind of goes along with it to just mm-hmm. think negatively of yourself and to publicly think negatively of yourself like saying oh I'm such stupid oh haha I'm just the worst oh mm-hmm. haha I'm all of these negative things as a joke like at what point does it stop being a joke yeah no, it's so, so interesting yeah. you bring that up. I've been thinking about that a lot recently. Like, there's a very popular soundbite. Um, I'm I'm addicted to TikTok right now. So, like, all of <laughs> yeah. all of my, like, social media and cultural references are stemming from that app. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a soundbite that goes around, and it's like, you're just like me. Trash. I'm like, why? Why would you call yourself Trash. Because the way you mm-hmm. talk to yourself is the way other people learn to talk to you. Yes. And it's so hard because, like I said, at what point does it stop being a joke? Yeah. Like, you can say things as a joke. Like, you know, I say, oh, haha, I'm dumb. But, like, mm-hmm. I know I'm not dumb and my friends mm-hmm. know I'm not dumb. But it's just, I don't know, it's it's a more innocent version. So I there is still some self-deprecation there, yeah. but it's a lot more positive mm-hmm. than it used to be. Because, like, like you said, it's like, haha, I'm trash. Haha, I'm the worst person ever. Like, there's that one soundbite from this video, and it's like, thanks for checking in. I'm still a piece of garbage. 
Oh. Uh, that one was thrown around and just it blew up and it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And like mostly like young adults and like I don't know millennials, I guess, would you know constantly self-deprecate. And my therapist was like, some self-deprecation is, I think, healthy because it keeps you humble. You don't want to develop a god complex, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like at some point you just gotta stop talking bad about yourself. And so the way that I kind of got out of it was, would I say these things to my best friend? Mm-hmm. Would I say these things about my best friend? Like, would I say that she's trash? Would I say that she's the worst person ever because she messed up on this one thing? I'd be like, no, of course not. I wouldn't say that about her. She's a human and she makes mistakes. So I, in that instance, I had to become my own best friend, which is very hard because you have to accept all these like negative things about yourself that maybe you don't necessarily like, but in your best friend, you wouldn't mind. Mm-hmm. So it's learning to accept and to love yourself that then helps stop the self-deprecation that helps stop all the doom and gloom so i unfollowed a whole bunch of like really self-deprecating meme pages on social media i started following more pages that have like pretty dresses and vintage clothing and history and flowers and puppies and like that has helped so much it's like redecorating your room with the things that make you happy mm-hmm. if you have all the stuff that just like you look at and makes you upset and makes you feel negative things like why would you have that mm-hmm. So that's what I did. I redecorated my room and my room being my social media because I'm on it a lot <laughs> and it helped reframe a lot of things in my brain because I wasn't constantly like being berated with all these negative messages um, that would pertain to myself. I was seeing more positive things. I was seeing more flowers, more pretty things, more really cool dresses that inspired me to make my own stuff. And it's, it's been really nice because I started, you know, I unfriended the people who were just negative all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't want to be around that. It's A, draining. B, and it's not, it's, it's just not fun. <laughs> like, I'm here yeah. to have fun and be happy. And while I might have a lot of days that are not fun and not happy, I still have those things to look forward to mm-hmm. while I'm, you know, laying in my bed in agonizing pain. <laughs> And I stuck on the floor and can't get up. <laughs> yeah, and I think that, like, like you're saying earlier, the media's portrayal of these disabilities and these, um, like, cognitive differences, it either glamorizes it to the point of like, oh, it's punk rock to be, you know, to have this thing without really honoring the struggle that that person goes through on a day to day basis and learning yeah. the tools that you have to learn and understanding that you're just gonna have days that are just terrible. And there's nothing mm-hmm. anybody can do about it. I mean, it's a running joke in my household when I have days where, like, my anxiety is really bad or I'm just in a depressive funk where my husband will just be like, oh, just stop being depressed. And I go, wow, I'm cured. It works so well. Yeah. But it's yeah. that whole, yeah. yeah, and then we both laugh because he know he knows and he's compassionate to the to the fact that, you know, these are parts of me that we just have to live with and learn to cope mm-hmm. with and... You know, I go to therapy twice a month and do the things that try to remember to do the things that, you know, refill my cup so that I can give to other people. And it's, there are days that are just really hard and I don't want to get out of bed and I don't want to go to work. And when I get to work, I don't want to do the work, but back to that people pleasing, like I want my boss to be happy with me. So I do the things, but then you get home and you're just wiped and wrecked and, trying to maintain as positive of a space as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. It's very, very hard because, you know, contrary to popular belief, so many people just want to see you fail. Oh, yeah. They just want to feel better about themselves and say, ha, this person isn't doing well, but at least I'm doing better than that. Mm -hmm. And that's just such a bad place to be. Like, what kind of person do you have to be to spend so much time and energy into other people's, like, well-being mm-hmm. in a negative way like influencing like all these other things and you know making them feel worse like that's just awful to me like as a person who I genuinely will burst into tears if I find out that I've hurt anybody in any kind of way even mm-hmm. if it was like completely accidental or unintentional and there's this popular belief that autistic people are like cold emotionalist robots and I'm like the polar opposite which is why it was hard to get a diagnosis. Ha ha. But 
Um, like, I just, I don't understand how people can be so negative. And I, I do agree that there is such a thing as toxic positivity, where you're just happy all the time, and everything's okay, and everything's great. Like, you have to accept that you're having a bad time. And that's, mm-hmm. it's okay to not be okay. And I just, I, I struggled with that concept a lot, too. And just taking time to refill my cup really helped because it, and having all this time to myself was like, well, I have to live with this now. I have to sit with it and it's uncomfortable and I don't like it, Mm -hmm. but that's just how things are. And that's okay. So it was a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. Everyone thinks that like you go to therapy once and you're cured. Yeah. It's not that way at all. It takes like months and months and years of work to Mm -hmm. like get to where we are now. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's actually a really wonderful place to leave off. So thank you so much for coming on and talking with me. I would love to have you back at some point because I would really like to hear how you got into sex work and how like that's kind of shaped your life because I don't know a lot of sex workers and I'm a very curious person. And I think that's great that that's an industry you know, it's the oldest profession in the book for a reason. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, I mentioned that on social media the other day because mm-hmm. I've done a lot of research projects on it and then come to find yourself as a sex worker. I know this is mm-hmm. a topic for another time, but yeah, I love being open about things and I'm always, I love being open about this kind of stuff because if I can help even one person feel less bad about what they're going through, that is more than enough for me and I have done my job and that was what I was put on this earth to do was to make people happy and feel better, I think. Mm-hmm. That's what makes me happy. So I I love answering questions. I love being super open and I love learning too. So mm-hmm. I'm all for learning and fostering that environment. And I loved being on here because I can just talk forever <laughs> about yes. these things. Well, thank you so much for coming on with me today. I so appreciated your openness and your willingness to be vulnerable with me. Um, is there any place on the socials that you're open to people finding you? You can say no. Um, let's see. I'm on Instagram. Um, I, I have a couple different Instagrams. I have my crafting one, which is at crafty underscore costuming, which is where I put all my costume stuff and like my sewing adventures. And then I have my performer one, which is at Robin underscore caskets. And it's R-O-B-Y-N underscore K-A-S-K-E-T-S. And then, yeah, that's all of the Instagrams. I have so many Mm -hmm. more, but those are the two main ones that I use. Perfect. I will make sure that those are linked in the the little info area. And I hope you just stay safe and healthy and best of luck in getting all of your diagnoses. And that way you can get some relief and, you know... Just keep then I'll have more to talk about. Exactly. And then you can come back on and tell me more things and help educate me and also make me feel less alone in this world. Because, you know, what you were talking about, that's the whole point of why I'm trying to start this podcast and why it's also been extremely frustrating because I've been trying to figure out, like, what's my niche? What can I connect with people on? And just being having the doors blown open to this neurodiverse community through my diagnoses and understanding that you know, everything that's quote unquote wrong with me, because I don't know a, a better way to phrase it. They mm-hmm. they all go hand in hand and they all are a part of the same pie. So Yeah, we're all we're all interconnected and we're mm-hmm. all we're here. It's like uh you know, you chances are you know someone who's disabled, you know someone mm-hmm. who's autistic, you know someone who's gay, you know someone who's non binary or trans, but like we're all here and you may just may not realize it. We, mm-hmm. we have such a large population that just people don't seem to realize like we're all here and we all do these other things too. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, it's good to learn about them and, you know, become friends. Yeah. And reach across the aisle, be kind to one another, yes. have yes. open and honest experiences. So yes. thank you again. It was so lovely getting to see your beautiful face and to get to talk to you and, I will be in touch with you again here probably Yay, soon. I'm so excited. <laughs> Good. Alrighty, well, I'm going to end the recording now. Editing clap.
Hi, hello, welcome. My name is Haley Gorlick. I am your host with the most, and I am so excited and thrilled that you are here with me today. This still isn't recording. Why isn't this recording? Hi, hello, and welcome. Nope, still not fucking recording. Wow, I just love and admire that person so much, and it was so wonderful to get to sit down and talk with her, and I hope we get to do it again soon. All of Ella's socials have been linked in the description below. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, leave a review, do the things that give people feedback. Um, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at loudlyunbummed, as well as my website and blog at unbumfuzzle.com. Also, please go to Facebook, like the Wow This Room Is Loud page if you feel so inclined. Everything is going to be linked in the description below. Please go out and be kind to one another. To say that we are in troubling times is a gross understatement. You know, in the last year, we have sustained multiple collective traumas. Now, including a failed coup d'etat, which I am simultaneously unsurprised and completely floored by. Before I roll the credits, um, I just wanted to leave you all with the words of Aaron Sorkin in a tiny, very short monologue from his show, The West Wing, season two, episode titled, Somebody's Going to Emergency, Somebody's Going to Jail. I happened to be watching this on the day the domestic terrorists stormed and took the Capitol. And it just felt so timely and poignant. So here we go. It was high treason and it mattered a great deal. This country is an idea and one that's lit the world for two centuries. And treason against that idea is not just a crime against the living. This ground holds the graves of the people who died for it, who gave what Lincoln called the last full measure of devotion of fidelity. Thank you so much for joining me and for making it to this point in the episode. All of the things done to make this podcast a podcast, including the editing, and I use that as loosely as possible, were performed by myself, Haley Gorlick. Thank you so much to my wonderful guest, Ella Craft. Getting to sit down and have a conversation with you was really a pleasure. With that, my friends, be present, be focused, be here, and go with peace. Thank you.